Hey everyone, this is Matt with a fiery overflow pod. Okay, not really, major exaggeration. But we're on a test of Daniel and it's pretty fiery. They're about to get thrown into a fiery furnace and that's pretty hot. So when the heat is turned on in your life, what can you do? Sunblock isn't gonna help, sunglasses isn't gonna help. What can you do when you're faced with a fiery situation and you don't see any way out and you start to feel the heat, the pressure, of the situation and it starts to overwhelm you and you get nervous and worried. What do you do? Well, let's, let's first look at what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did. So here we go. This is what they did. Number one, don't worry about defending yourself. Say you go to work and the heat's on there for say being a Christian, for making a moral stand or for doing the right thing whatever it is, and somebody just doesn't agree with you, doesn't like it, don't worry about defending yourself. Just quietly trust God to take care of your attackers. Because when you're in the fire, God's a whole lot better firefighter than you are. And he's got a whole lot more water than you do. Daniel 3.16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. In other words, we don't need to defend ourselves by not doing this. By the way, implied here is God doesn't need us to defend him either. He says, we're not going to dignify your last questioning by answering it. He said, who's going to, remember, he said, who's going to save you, me or God? We're not going to answer that question. We're not going to defend ourselves. We're not worried about what's going to happen. So we're not impressed by your threats. You got to not worry when people attack you. And that just runs counter to everything. Because when you get threatened, you want to turn into a hedgehog. And it's natural to be afraid. But they didn't budge. You see, they've been through a lot. They really remembered all the things that God's done for them. Remember, when they were teenagers, they were taken away as POWs. They were kidnapped from their country into a foreign land. And they had to deal with all the events. And I'm sure there's more than just what the Bible says, because this is like many years later, and I'm sure they face things all the time, being a foreigner in a foreign land. We don't know. We just know the events that happened in Daniel, and just those events are pretty amazing. So they didn't worry about what others thought, because they were living on borrowed time to begin with. They didn't think they would survive. But here they are thriving. So they said, you know what? We're not going to worry about it. We're not going to worry about defending ourselves. Second. Remember that God has the power to save me. It doesn't matter what kind of mess you're in, what kind of crisis, what kind of difficulty, what kind of fire you're trying to put out in your life right now. Just remember, God has the power to save me. God is God, which means he can do anything. This week, I talked to my dad and he told me how my stepfather isn't doing very good. I didn't have the best relationship with her, but since my kids were born, we've gotten along pretty well. She's 82 or 83 now and has significant health issues, and she's had them her entire life. In fact, I was shocked she was still alive. I mean, 25 years ago, with all her health issues, I didn't think she would make it. And here she is in her 80s. I mean, she had gone to the hospital for the past, oh, decades, like every other week. Just three years ago, she was diagnosed with late stage four cancer, and she made it through at 79. All I can say is God somehow saved her life. You could see it in the doctor's eyes when they treat her. She had zero chance, but somehow she made it through. 
surprised everyone, except for my dad, who said, God's, God can do anything. Daniel 3.17a says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. That is quite a statement from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know our God is able. He's got the power to save us. What I like about this verse is that God can deliver us from any difficulty, but they don't say that he will because they don't know what God's purpose is. They just know and believe that nothing is impossible with God. See, their current lives are a product of his grace and power. Just being alive at this long and being able to grow and be who they are. It's purely a product of his grace. I mean, who would have thought that some young boys from a conquered nation would come back to the capital of the empire and become major players in positions of power? Their success makes no sense unless you attribute it to God working behind the scenes. Third thing you got to do is believe God will save me. When you're in a problem, when you're in a crisis, when you're faced with your whole life falling apart, and I hope you're not there right now, but if you are, it's very important. Not only you have to believe that God has the ability to help you, the ability to rescue you, the ability to deliver and save you, you must believe that he will. You must expect that he will save you. Not that just that he is able, but that he will. Second part of verse 17 says, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. In the entire nation, three guys stood up to the king. Everybody else in the nation is bowing down. Every time the royal band plays, everybody's lockstep. Everybody's conforming to the king. So you're going to worship me. I'm the deity. I'm God. But these three guys say, you know what? We're not going to. We're not kiss-ups. We're not stuck-ups. We're stand-ups. We're not afraid because God can save us. He's got the power. He will save us. If you know what God says he'll do in your life, you don't worry. When you worry, it means that you don't know what God has promised you. That's what it means. It means you don't know. There are 7,000 plus promises in the Bible. Here's just one of the hundreds of thousands of promises about deliverance and rescue. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. When I was just a young kid, I was very young, maybe 10, maybe a little bit, you know, around 10 or 11. I remember watching part of a, a movie called Nightmare on Elm Street. It's a Freddy Krueger attacked you in your dreams. He had razor blades for fingers. Scared me crazy. I used to have nightmares. And I remember one night I got tired of it and I started praying to God. I said, God, take away these nightmares. I don't want to deal with this. Why should I worry about my dreams when I know that the God of the universe loves me and is going to take care of me? And I believe that God could do it. And he did. When you walk through the fire, the flames will not consume you. That is literally a promise of God. And based on that, they're not worried. I know what God can do and I'm expecting him to do it. Fourth, I announce my loyalty to God no matter what. So if you're having to get ready to go and have one of the most difficult confrontations with your boss one-on-one, Somewhere you say, I'm announcing loyalty to God no matter what the outcome of this conversation is or this confrontation is. 
God has the ability to save. We believe he'll save us. Verse 18. But even if he does not, this is the very next verse, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now that's pretty courageous. They're announcing their loyalty to God no matter what, even if he doesn't save us. We know he can. We believe he will. But if he doesn't, it's not going to change a thing. We're not going to back down. I want to pause here a minute and say, when God works in your life and you got a problem in your life, he always works in one of three ways. When you need rescuing, there's three different ways he can rescue you. First way, you see, sometimes God saves us from the crisis. He helps us avoid the fire. People call it a divine detour. God could have done that with these guys. He, they could have been marked for execution and the king is convinced and said, you know what? You're right. Let's not do that. Sometimes when you're in a problem, God will take you out of it. It's nice. That's always fun. Saves us from the crisis. Helps us avoid the fiery furnace. I remember falling asleep when I rode a motorcycle when I was 18. And I woke up in my yard on the ground next to my bike. I had no idea how I got home. Last thought I had was of a road that was three miles away. That was the last time I was awake. Somehow I made it to the house in the yard. And I wasn't even asleep very long because the motorcycle was still very hot. The exhaust pipe was burning the grass. I remember back in my last semester of college, or actually it was the winter session, I believe. I'm not really sure. Maybe it was, but I was studying for a test and I wasn't ready and I had to do well on this test. And I prayed. I was like, God, please, somehow, I don't know what. And I wanted you know, get me out of this crisis. And I meant to study all night and I fell asleep. I woke up the next morning in a panic going, I'm going to fail this exam. I opened the windows and there it was the blizzard of 96 where we had like 15 inches of snow. It was glorious. I had three extra days to study and I did ace that test. Sometimes God saves us from the crisis. Second way is sometimes God saves us through the crisis. We walk through the fiery furnace. He doesn't take us away from the problem. He takes you through the problem and he gives you the strength to handle it. He doesn't remove the problem, but he gives you the strength to deal with it. Next semester, I started with to get my master's degree at seminary. And the same thing happened. I was running out of time. It was my first exam in seminary and I was scared. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to study. I never really studied before. And it was a huge New Testament survey class. But my friend called me up and said, hey, you want to study? And I was like, sure. And we did an all-nighter, the three of us. First one ever. And I was able to make it through. And I got an A on my first super hard seminary class because of that studying all night. First time I studied all night before. I remember going to class with them or going to the building at 7 a.m., and remembering all kinds of weird stuff. And I was able to do well on the test. Third way, sometimes God saves us by the crisis. What I mean by that is sometimes the problem in your life is not the problem. The problem is what saves you from the real problem. You've heard the story where someone goes to the hospital for a problem in their neck. And when they get there, the pain in their neck wasn't the real problem. The problem is they had cancer somewhere or something even far worse. 
Sometimes a smaller problem is the warning sign that gets your attention for a bigger problem. And sometimes God even allows the problem because he wants to save you. That same problem I had of not being able to study was a small part of how in the world am I going to graduate and not be able to study. I'm not going to be able to pull all-nighters with a friend who knows how to study. And my friend saw that. And he was very kind. He showed up and he taught me in the later that night, in the middle of the night, how to study for essay questions, how to organize material, because I didn't I had no idea how to study for essay. And, and that's what seminary was. We had this massive amount of information and somehow we had to boil it down. And how do you know what to study for when you have, you know, 3000 pages of stuff that you could possibly be tested on per, per class? And so he basically showed me how to summarize, how to organize the material, how to memorize certain quotes that fit in every context and possible question. And I learned this all from a guy who was a valedictorian from high school who graduated with an average, with an, with an A average and as a chemical engineer in college, at the, one of the top five schools in chemical engineering in the country. And he taught me over a couple of days how to study. For the next three years. And guess what? I graduated great. I did great. And that crisis, that small problem of that one test alerted me to the real problem is I had no idea how to study. And God used that problem to save me three years of difficulty. And as a result of that, I was able to learn how to study. I was able to perfect for me what worked. The crisis gave me the strength to make it through getting my master's. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So why does God allow me to go through pain on this planet? Because God is more interested in your character than he is your comfort. You see, this isn't heaven where there's no sorrow, no sadness, no sickness. That's coming in eternity. Right now, you're in school. You're learning. You're learning some things. And God wants you to learn. If life were incredibly easy and you never had any problems, you wouldn't learn a thing. You'd just be a selfish little brat who always got your way about everything. Like my kids. No, I'm just kidding. They're going through a lot. They're learning a lot. After Jesus was arrested with Jesus' betrayal, even the disciples had to learn. They scattered and they hid. And I'm sure the disciples prayed for a way to overcome the crisis of falsely accusing Jesus. But Jesus was going through the crisis and ultimately pays the price of the false charges so that the greater event of salvation can occur. He ends up suffering, dying on a cross and buried in a tomb, but ultimately is raised by God from the dead. And we now can call upon God to ask to put all our wrongs, all our sins on Jesus, and God will forgive us of every sin past, present, and future, and put them on Jesus. And Jesus pays for them. And he gives us a place by his side for all eternity. He adopts us into his family, and be, we become one with him. And our greater problem is solved. So God's more interested in your character than your comfort. He's more interested in your salvation and your sanctification, becoming like Christ, than he is in your security. Sometimes God saves us by the crisis. So you know people who are headed 
the exact opposite way that God wanted them. And then they go through a bankruptcy or a divorce or the loss of a loved one or something that it got their attention and they came to Jesus. The problem actually saved them for eternity. Was the problem worth it? Even though the pain that they went through was terrible? Yes, the problem was worth it because it saved them for eternity. These guys have given a direct challenge to Nebuchadnezzar, his claim to be God. Everybody's going to worship me. I'm number one. I'm the best. And they said, no, you're not, buddy. Nebuchadnezzar gets really angry. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times hotter than usual. Why does he need to do that? We all, you know, human beings, we're going to fry at a normal fire temperature. It doesn't need to be seven times hotter. This is what you call overkill. It's redundant. It's unnecessary. He doesn't need that thing to be seven times hotter than just that would kill a normal person. So why is he doing this? I thought about this, and I think that Nebuchadnezzar was secretly worried that the that these Hebrew guys, that God might actually help them out. So he said, let's just make this thing sure. I don't want to look bad here. So heat this puppy up seven times more. We're going to 11 <laughs> on the chart of one to 10. That's what's happening here. And when somebody reacts like that, there's a little side note. Say you're at work or something and someone obviously overreacts to your faith or they come unglued when they hear you're a Christian or when they hear the way you talk or, or the way you act and they just overreact to it. You need to realize that the more extreme your attacker is, the more insecure they are. The more insecure a person is, the more over top they become. Because people who are secure in what they believe aren't insecure about what you believe. I know what I believe, and I don't get blown away when, when I have some atheist or agnostic or somebody of another faith gets up in my face. I just engage them. It doesn't threaten me. It doesn't bother me. Why? Because I'm secure in what I believe. It doesn't bother me. When people have interior doubts and they're fighting with their own guilt or they're fighting with their own conscience or they're fighting with their own past, they often take it out on you. So you need to understand it. It's not about you. All that vile stuff that's coming out of the person that's over the top angry about your faith, it's not really about your faith. It's about what's going on inside of them. It's about the pain that they're in through. Remember, hurt people hurt people. The more pain that someone has experienced, the more painful they will try to make your life. So hopefully when the heat is turned on, you will see these four things to do. Number one, don't worry about defending yourself. Number two, remember that God has the power to save you. Number three, believe God will save you. And number four, announce my loyalty to God no matter what. And then God chooses how to save you, whether it's through the problem, beyond the problem, or by the problem. And next pod, we're going to look and see what what God does when these guys get thrown in. Well, God bless, and I'll see you next week.